Hey, Rose, do you ever call up Royally Obsessed on Alexa? It's one of the easiest ways to listen to the pod. You can hear our latest episode every week there, thanks to Amazon Music, which has a full catalog of podcasts, including Royally Obsessed. All you have to do is say, Alexa, play Royally Obsessed on Amazon Music. Oh, no, mine is listening to me say that right at this moment. <laughs> a royal reminder, new episodes drop every Thursday. Tune in on Amazon Music. Now on to the show. Please rise for their majesties of Royally Obsessed, the podcast for all things royals. Stand by! Three cheers for Her Majesty the Queen! And we are back with another episode of Royally Obsessed. I'm Roberta. I'm Rachel. And we have so, so much royal news coming up with an exciting episode. But first, as a reminder, send us an email at info at gallerypodcasts.com. We love, 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 love hearing from you guys. Also, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars, pretty please. In the spirit of the holidays and giving, please give, give us a five-star <laughs> review. Like, give thanks and to us now. <laughs> give thanks to yourself, too. <laughs> what else am I missing? Um, subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Rachel, what are we talking about this week? We have so much. I feel like we are being so um, precious with our time in this episode because we really want to give everything proper attention and there's just a lot. But we are going to be talking about the anniversary of the Panorama interview. It's been 26 years. Updates on the Queen's health and her missing the Remembrance Day Sunday ceremony. We're also digging in very deep on the appeal with Megan's case with against the Mail on Sunday. Jason Knopf's motives. Lot to unpack there. We have a sheep sweater giveaway. <gasps> Woo, get excited. So excited. And we're joined by Aminatu So, host of the new podcast, When Diana Met. Roberta, how are you first? Really fast. I want to hear about your weekend. Oh, it was fun. We did, yeah, we did kind of a British feeling weekend with lots of um, fall, you know, activities. We Where went was apple it picking. Again? Can it's, you say it's this? called Wolverton Inn. It's uh, on the Delaware River and New Hope, Lambertville area. It was beautiful. It was really, really, and it was so funny too that there was right outside of our room, like, this just is such like a, ha it always happens to us. I feel like these little like royal things, but there was a, framed picture of the queen right outside our room. So it was really, it was like a cute little bed and breakfast and very British vibes. Rachel, I, I loved none it. of that matters because you, did you finish Harry Potter last night? I did. Do my eyes look tired? <laughs> <laughs> I stayed up until 1am because I was, I was reading all about Megan and everything with her case. Oh and then I was gosh. like, it was like 945 and I had a hundred pages left. And I was like, I just, I have to do it. I need to know what happened. For those who don't know, it's not just one book. It's the whole series. She the finished whole series. Last night. Yes. A hundred pages you had left. So what are your thoughts? I mean, I was like sobbing last night. My, that's my eyes are like a mess today, but I, I, <laughs> <laughs> really was um, blown away by the by the conclusion, the finale, and yeah, you just, feel differently. I now, feel like right? I don't want to say any spoilers, but I feel like everyone has absolutely read oh, it. I'm the last sure person in the world. It. I just couldn't yeah. believe like Neville. I couldn't believe Snape. I couldn't believe well, you all were like, these twists. Yesterday, you were like, "What's that silver liquid he gave?" Them? Yeah, I told Matt that you said that you. What did you say to me? You said, "Who you are in this moment." 
as a reader so different different tomorrow yeah and I was like I just had your words in my head as I was wait you know what I I just saw online they're doing a um HBO Max Harry Potter special January 1st and all the actors are getting together (gasps) like all of them which is just I know I feel like now I can participate in all of this stuff because I just didn't know okay anyways but it was a big moment all right all right go go refreshment (laughs) and now it's time for the weekly royal cocktail um, we're toasting to Prince Charles's birthday, which yes. was last week. Happy birthday. Happy I am, birthday, Prince Charles. I have iced coffee, so not so I fun. have a Coke. Like, you can judge me so hard, but it is 9 a.m. and we have a full morning of royal stuff, so I needed to be on my game. Um, but I, we, we are bringing back the royal refreshment with alcohol, we promise, because you, we know you guys love it. I did want to say, um, in honor of Prince Charles, something that was interesting. Did you get to watch the last episode of the CNN documentary? Diana. Yes. yes. The part about um, the state of Diana and Charles's relationship at the end, the mm-hmm. last couple months that they were starting to hang out again. And mm. one of her friends talked about how Diana even said, you'll never guess who just called me, you know, my ex-husband. And I think it just, you don't, I, that was new information to me. I really didn't realize that they were sort of Same. on good co-parenting terms right. in the last couple months of her life. And I think, you know, he was obviously incredibly grief stricken by her death and you know there was a part about how he was adamant about finding she didn't have a gold earring she was missing an earring in her casket and Charles really fixated on that I thought Mm. um there were some really interesting um details that were uncovered in the final episode I so enjoyed it so anyways I thought that was so so good yeah anyways but other Charles news (laughs) well a few just a few updates besides his birthday is that Michael Fawcett's out we've talked a lot about Michael Fawcett on the show and you know he was fired and rehired and shuffled around the Prince of Wales' offices and then you know allegedly is mixed up in this cash for honor scandal he facilitated it and now he has resigned probably was kind of forced to resign Mm -hmm. but it just makes me wonder does this scandal go away for Charles which I don't think it should you have like a fall guy yeah, and then, then that's it. Like, it, yeah, it's like succession. It's like, yeah, that's, I, I'm, I'm watching thinking, succession. I'm, too. Like, that's all I was thinking about. What's the plot like line there? I Ken know. Roy. Yeah. Um, but we also just saw that he touched down Jordan with Camilla for this mm-hmm. tour that they're doing. It's the first and official royal tour, right? Since the pandemic for them, where they exactly, overseas royal tour. Yes, exactly. And yeah, I mean, everything seems to be going well, but I was looking at pictures and Queen Rania of Jordan. Do you know how old she is? Because no. I was. Blown she's away. stunning. She's 51. She looks I mean, incredible. she is stunning. Also, you know, <laughs> with all the resources that you're disposal, yeah. of course, but just wanted to throw that out there. Okay. We have to talk about this listener email. Instead of a note, we have an incredibly generous offer from a fellow Roro, Paulette. Woo-woo, Paulette. She writes in, would listeners be interested in the Diana Black Sheep sweater in a medium, especially those who couldn't otherwise afford it? I have one in red I'm looking to rehome in favor of the green, which just came out. So a medium red sheep sweater, I feel like there's a lot of people listening that would be interested in that. So email us with what Diana's sheep sweater means to you. A little bit of a creative writing contest. Exercise, (laughs) yeah. And we'll choose the recipient, and then we can connect you guys, and Paulette can mail it along. And a very merry sheep sweater Christmas to all. I'm so excited. I cannot wait to hear what it means to you guys. I, I can't like wait to so, just hear your like, yeah, what, what it means. Exercise. I think that's going to be yeah. really awesome. Thanks, Paulette, too. That's so kind of you. So, so kind. All right. This week in Royal History. And now, 
This week in royal history. November 20th, 1995 was the date that Diana's interview with the BBC One's Panorama aired. 26 years, Roberta, have gone by since that happened. And I think it's really been at the forefront for us in the last year because it's just with everything going on with Martin Bashir and all all that has come to light since. Of yeah, course, it really has not settled down around this at all. It just it, it blew up in the public consciousness this year. Yes. And like. I think there's a lot more to come, according to Charles Spencer, because it's they're definitely not at the end of pursuing potential litigation. He was on a show this week talking about that. But in the interview, Diana famously spoke of Camilla. She talked about her affair with James Hewitt, her battle with depression, her battle with bulimia, the future of the monarchy, which is particularly timely now, and uh, so much more. So the interview was about one hour in length and watched by 15 million people. As we just said, the Lord Dyson report came out last year, at the end of last year, and it was very firmly declared that Martin Bashir obtained the interview with Diana under false pretenses. And then Prince William followed that up by condemning it and saying that it should never be aired again and established a false narrative, which is very much to be debated. Yeah, I have thoughts on that. I yes. just think like I I think she said what she said fully in, you know, in control of of what her her message was and that that's that doesn't change anything for me. I don't know. Yeah, Does she that- was clear of my I mean she was in her 30s. She was clear of mind. Albeit I I do feel like the circumstances she obviously was pressured and I do think that that really shaped the final you know, year of her life where it expedited her divorce. There were so many things that that interview set in motion. So that's the part I think is problematic. But it did, I don't think what she talked about was a false narrative. It wasn't coerced in any mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she, I mean, she spoke her truth. And I think that that's what we have to remember. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't give it any less credence to mm-hmm. me that it was, you know, obviously she was paranoid, but she also felt so strongly that she wanted to open up to the public about what had been going on behind the scenes. So yeah, and we've it, seen it time and time again, the biography and the, and the interview. So absolutely. Um, and we know that the crown, this is where it's going to really continue to stay at the forefront because we know that the crown, according to sources, I should say, is going to devote a full episode to this in the new season. We also know that they're casting currently for Prince William and he will the person that they're casting for is the age of a teenager. So we know that Prince William famously watched that interview live while he was at Eton alone and that was a really really heartbreaking circumstance for him and a pivotal moment for him. So I think and it kind of explained for me why he was particularly fiery and angry about the what has come to light with Panorama. So I think it kind of gives us just little like Easter eggs, I guess, of what to expect from the crown is why I mentioned the cat, the age. Um, I want to rewatch the real one before seeing the crown. Yes. Episode. I yes. think that that's a good idea to do. Absolutely. Because it really grounds it in what's factual and what's not. Yes. And I think it's also interesting watching it after seeing Spencer. I know the Spencer timeline was obviously earlier and fictional and a fable and all of that <laughs> stuff. But I think, yeah. yeah, I think that it does kind of, it is fascinating even just to compare Kristen Stewart to Diana. She, Kristen Stewart did a masterful job. But um, I did want to play, obviously we know that the interview, we know that there were three of us in this marriage. There were a lot of, you know, kind of, I don't want to say iconic, but explosive moments. But this is a poignant, less played part that is about Diana's decision to divorce. And I think where, you know, we just said Spencer was highly fictionalized, it does really show that there was a different sort of narrative according to Diana. By the December of that year, as you say, you'd agreed to a legal separation. Mm -hmm. What were your feelings at the time? Deep, deep, profound sadness. 
So we'd, we had struggled to keep it going, but obviously we'd all, we'd both run out of steam. And in a way, I suppose it could have been a relief for us both that we'd finally made our minds up. But my husband asked for separation and I supported it. It was not your idea? No, not at all. I come from a divorced backup background and I didn't want to go into that one again. I thought that was really interesting because I think yeah. that in the movie, it really depicts sort of she made the decision and she was like, I'm obviously the circumstances we still don't exactly know how it all played out. But right. I do think it shows how much Diana did want on some level to see it work out. But I don't think that she was necessarily capable yeah. of making that happen with the views of, her, you know, where her husband's mind was at. But Right. And that Charles had initiated the separation. I really, I don't think I knew that before hearing that. And I know I've watched this full interview before, but. Well, it's really like, I think because Spencer was top of mind. That's, you know, it's yeah. like different things jump out at you when you're watching things. That's why you watch exactly. things over and over. Exactly. Um, but yeah. And then one more, because this segues beautifully into what we're talking about next, is these words from Diana about Charles and his future on the throne. I don't think any of us know the answer to that. And obviously it's a question that's in everybody's head. But who knows? Who knows what fate will produce? Who knows what circumstances will provoke? But you would know him better than most people. Hmm. Do you think he would wish to be king? There was always conflict on that subject with him when we discussed it. And I understood that conflict because it's a very demanding role, being Prince of Wales, but it's equally a more demanding role, being king. And being Prince of Wales produces more freedom now, and being king would be a little bit more suffocating. And because I know the character, I would think that the top job, as I call it, would bring enormous limitations to him. And I don't know whether he could adapt to that. I think just on the precipice we're about to talk about the queen's health i'm teeing you up it's just hearing diana talk about that charles is next in line to the throne so i'll let you right. take it from there first up in the royal news rundown we have the queen Backing out of Remembrance Sunday, two hours before the ceremony. Two hours. So it's the, I know. And just like what a letdown for royal watchers. I think, you know, especially knowing how poignant this event is to her. So it's the first Remembrance Sunday she's missed in 69 years. Wild. Other than six times, two when she was pregnant with children, and then four overseas trips. She truly has not missed this in seven decades besides like a few outliers absolutely just the thing that she makes sure to go to every year you know there's a statement from the palace all the usual trappings she's disappointed not to attend the event she had the firm intention to attend she makes this decision with great regret you know these like buzzwords from these statements that we've gotten over and over again the breadcrumbs of this you know of i think the nation and possibly even the world feeling some anxiety about the queen's health. You know, if we first had the public use of a cane in 17 years, then she canceled her trip to Northern Ireland. Then there was a one night stay in the hospital, which was kind of not disclosed until later. Mm -hmm. There was the decision to skip the Glasgow climate change, which she had been really looking forward to. That was the thing that was like, she's going to be there. She's mm -hmm. going to be there. Decision to skip that. 
The palace source told Reuters it's not connected to this unnamed ailment, which was what initiated her hospital stay, and is merely, quote, an incredibly unfortunate coincidence. So the back sprain. Mm -hmm. What did you think when this first broke, I guess, Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon? I was definitely really stunned. I think that I was really holding on to this moment really optimistic and feeling really great about seeing her and feeling like all is right and I could like rebalance my emotions. And Mm -hmm. I think for me, the timeline of it, that the fact that it was two hours before, I feel like it makes me think that she really, really was so close to making it happen. But when you are 95 years old, those things happen. There's a lot of, you know, mental ramp up that, I mean, I just, I feel like she is God bless her. Like she's, you know, she's doing so much. And it's like, I mean, she, I just worry a lot about that. I know. And the depth of her own disappointment has got to be, I mean, so vast. I think like she, you know, Remembrance Day is so important. As we know, she served in World War II for the auxiliary auxiliary ATS. She, you know, even signaled the morning of on Sunday that she would be there. So this really was a last minute thing. And That's where I picture it's like you're all dressed and ready to go. And then you're like, you know, when you're like, it's like the day after being sick and you're like, nah, I'm good. I got this. And you're, you were out sick for like a week. And then you're like, "Mm, I'm still not a one, but the back sprain, that sounds like a previous ailment. Yeah. And the whole, the whole event is standing on a balcony, you know, that can't be comfortable. But if you're, yeah, if you're back, right. I just think if there's any way she could have been sitting this whole time, they might've let her go forward with it. But. And so much is also standing in being seen as very powerful. So I think if you have any little... Yeah, on a marble balcony, that can be good for your joints Mm -hmm. either. And at 95, I mean, like, I've had sprains before and they're awful. So at 95, I can't even imagine. But I also have this gut feeling that the palace communications team just cannot be trusted. And it just feels like we get the news way after things have already been in motion. Like, it just makes me more stressed than just her normal health issues would make me have because there's a lot of manipulation behind there's a lot of manipulation there's a lot of kind of well we saw her at the hospital okay yeah she stayed at the hospital one night it's like well we found you out so i think that that's what's really stressful for me that said she has undertaken a duty this week we just saw that she received general sir nick carter yes nick carter (laughs) from the backstreet boys is now general snow not the singer at windsor castle (laughs) I had to throw that in there. My dad back joke. Oh. back. Can I say that we sing like um, for Finn every night at we bath need time? A, we're like a moment of levity right now. Yes. We sing "Wash Your Body." We make up the lyrics for bath time. Anyways, she probably tour. played that as her pump up song. I hope so. Event. I hope so. It's the first event since October 19th, so almost a month and wow. first engagement she's had, and she is standing in the photographs. Can you get over a strained back that quickly? I mean, I think probably with the doctors she has there, they've you know, been helping her along. But hopefully this is the sign of more events to come from her. And the one thing I want to call out is that in her place, Kate Middleton stood in the middle of the balcony between Sophie and Camilla. And while a lot of people write into that, it's usually significant. She's taking the place of the queen. The queen has a huge soft spot for Kate. And I think a lot of people see that, but it's also, it was an order of seniority. Kate is the tallest. It looked more symmetrical for her to be in the middle. So I didn't read too much into that. What did you think? I think my only reaction was just the fact that it's like 
um, they weren't too caught up with protocol for this moment. I'm like, weird, because you're caught up with protocol for literally every other thing, especially the Sussex's last appearance. Like, I think that I recognize it's like this was a very last minute change, but I think that it was fascinating that Kate was in the center where the queen would have stood. And also I read some commentary, and I think this is interesting, is would people be ready to see Camilla at the center? No, I don't think so. Because she Honestly, technically is the one that will be the future princess or queen consort. We don't know what but Charles it so is going to get her. To have the heights like that, too. Yes. Like Camilla, I mean, my gosh, it looked beautiful. Kate. So striking. Yeah, it was like, I was it, it here made for so it. So much sense. And, yeah, it, also and the, it represents the modern monarchy. I mean, Kate and William are the real future of this. We have to talk about, you know, think about that. Uh, totally. I mean, she was re-wearing Alexander McQueen from 2018, Diana's pearl earrings as well. William took the salute, too, which I was like, okay, Kate and William at the forefront. The queen is, you know, fully supportive of these two as the future of the monarchy. But then I didn't realize it always just rotates between royals. So, like, five years ago was the last time he took it. Charles took it a couple years ago. It's not like this was a huge thing. So, yeah. anyways, reading too much into it, moving I, on. I do want to just interrupt this episode yes. to say that Meghan Markle just went on Ellen DeGeneres this very second. So I think I just want to mention it here because I feel like our episode is too packed and I want to get into it, but I think Roberta, you and I are going to need to talk about it next week. What do you think? Let me just Google it. I just got that alert. She just went on. Let's get into the um, lawsuit. I think that that... Okay. The reopening of the case against the mail on Sunday, this is a really big deal that this has been resurfaced. We know that Justice Mark Warby decided overwhelmingly in Megan's favor. And so it really is fascinating that this is being resurfaced. And it's all thanks to Jason Nauf. This is huge. I feel like I really want to get into this because I want to hear your thoughts and like, what? Why is he doing this now? What? What is the motive? Well, I think that that for me is what's like most curious and most hard to comprehend because I think that he obviously still works for the Cambridges, right? So it's yeah. like, you know, and I'm assuming with all the interactions with Megan, there had to have been some level of NDAs that were signed, right? I think that that's, that's what, what I thought too. Yeah. You know, we've seen Jason, he's he's supposed to step down at the end of this year. He's given that notice to the Cambridges, but he's still chief executive of their foundation. And he definitely popped up at COP26. We saw him in photos with Kate. So him spilling all of this, it basically is like, it kind of shows more that the house is on fire, you know, to, to bring all of this, you know, he, in those texts, he's basically throwing Charles under the bus by saying that Charles berated Harry, they were about why Megan wasn't able to stop what was happening with her dad, right? So it's like, yeah. I think that it is very complicated for me to understand why this serves anyone to resurface all of this. And Jason's argument, you know, because he was in a very big position of neutrality, right? Like he mm-hmm. was, when Mark Warby ruled, that was his kind of MO. But I think what we've come to find out is that he was really frustrated that it didn't go to trial. He was this was when Oprah happened because the case was resolved in February 2021. So he really felt like he was going to have a chance to share more of this is how I understand it. But yeah. it definitely doesn't make sense to me. And I just think it's interesting too. like, I wonder if he's operating under this pretense of like, I have nothing to lose because basically I think we know that his his spouse is getting moved overseas. So mm-hmm. he's actually leaving. He's supposedly leaving his job at the Royal Foundation at the end of the year. So does he just feel like, you know, I want to throw 
everything out there that I possibly can. It's just so odd to me that like a former employee of Megan and Harry, their communication secretary, and a current employee of Kate and William is now basically siding with the media on a privacy case. A like it does A tabloid too. A tabloid. And it just, it's like he he's bringing to light and shedding light on matters that don't look good for any of the royal family. That's what's weird to me. Yeah. And it, it just brings to question because we know how much like manipulation goes on. There's like kind of people pulling the puppet strings. Like what does the mail on Sunday have? Some crushing information against the royals like why would he do this when it does put the spotlight back on something that was resolved and it lights a fire under all of this and there we know there's a lot more to the story also because we're only seeing snippets of it so I think that that's questionable for me totally let's back up a little bit because I want to get into like the the statement the witness statement that Megan submitted to defend herself was like 21 pages or something and I don't think you can really find the full-length text anywhere but I do want to point out some of the things that were said so you know, one of the things that has people stuck on is this text. She says, obviously, everything I've drafted is with the understanding it could be leaked. So I've been meticulous in my word choice. She said, given I've only ever called him daddy, it makes sense to open as such despite him being less than paternal. And in the unfortunate event it leaked, it would pull at the heartstrings. And we also know she, like, numbered the pages, like, mm-hmm. one She did five, all those it. things, yeah. Yeah, and, like, it didn't end on, a sen- like, a sentence on a period at the end of the page and stuff. So... The other things are the the emails, and these are actually, I feel like, the emails about finding freedom, which we'll get into next, but, like, what is revealed about what they wanted to brief the authors on? So there's, like, she wants to talk about M's relate. She calls herself, she talks about herself in the third person this. She has M's relationship with her half-siblings. They were teenagers when they moved into her parents' home. Uh you know, a 16-year age gap. They dropped out of high school. She gives all of this kind of damning background on her own family and then goes on to say, like, you can talk about, you know, the wedding, the background on certain guest friendships, which I guess was important for them to point out in the book. Wow. All of these things, Samantha having, you know, two kids by two fathers or something. So it's just – it's really interesting – to but it but also we should get into like finding freedom wasn't part of this case when it started. Yeah, I mean finding freedom happened published long after Megan first waged this lawsuit, and I think that that the timeline is really fascinating because people are up in arms that Megan didn't share these details. Like the tabloid media is painting her as diabolical for leaving this out, but it is really like why would finding freedom be a part of this in a lot of ways? Like mm-hmm. because she, I, I just feel like the two things are neither here nor there, right? She shared everything by giving a backgrounder to the media and trying to clarify these mistruths that were being waged against her and, you know, everything that she needed to set the record straight. So it's like, because she did a backgrounder with her communications officer, that has nothing to do with her demanding privacy in relation to this letter that she was sending to her dad. The fact that she had also, to like, even... Also, isn't that, isn't that like his job description, right? It's his like, job description. You're meeting do. with those yeah. things after any media inquiry. And they yeah. clearly in the text, that's the other thing, is there's a real um, professionalism between them. Obviously, this mm-hmm. is where everything went sour. Like, they're very kind to each other and appreciative. Megan's constantly saying thank you. There's niceties yeah. exchanged. I just think that that's the part is that just because Megan worried about this letter leaking, that she anticipated that her words would be weaponized against her based mm-hmm. on the actions of her father, it doesn't mean that she doesn't have a right to privacy, correct? Yeah. And if I was a judge in this case, I think I would look at 
she does not in these this two-page email briefing to Jason Knopf about what to say to Omen and Carolyn at the meeting, she doesn't disclose there's a letter to her father. She doesn't yes, talk about it. Yes, that's not a part of that. Is that... Did I just solve the case? Like, isn't that the <laughs> case like, the crux? Like, I just found it for you guys. Well, and the interesting like, part about think- Warby, too, is that he's really specialized in media matters, and he overwhelmingly decided in Megan's favor. So maybe you did just decide the case, and he will stand by his <laughs> former right, you're decision. You're welcome, yes. Mark Warby. Yes. Um, and I just wanted to add one thing, is that everyone should really take the time to read the piece by Sophia Noble in the cut called The Fight of Meghan Markle's Life, because it really, really is so illuminating about the fact that there's a really big picture here about how tech is weaponized against women, but especially black women. And it's a really much higher percentage in terms of exploitation. And the result is that black women in particular are forced to retreat. And I think that we have really seen that play out in the last year and a half where, you know, Megan and Harry moved to California. And a lot of that was a reaction to the treatment that they were receiving. It was all a reaction to that. And yeah. so it's just something. I read the this, piece. I pulled yeah, it's so, so good. I'm so glad you brought that up. This sentence really struck me. Um, I just pulled it up on my browser. It says, in this case, Megan's very worry about an anticipation of being exploited is now being framed by the tabloids as grounds for the revocation of her rights. Like they're using her very real, very justified worry about exploitation of her words and her letter, private letter to her father as a grounds to take away more of her privacy. Like it just to me is like the yeah. irony, all of the irony. It's so, it's, yeah, so much to get into, but we will continue this The ripple effect of this decision will be massive. So it's important. Yes. And, and I guess kudos to Megan for fighting it. So yeah, I'm sure that we'll be talking about this case even more as, as we hear about the decision, the, the decision on the appeal. So we'll get into it more. Write us if you have any thoughts. Yeah. And now our discussion, our wonderful conversation with Aminatu So, the host of When Diana Met podcast. Rose, it's an honor to welcome Aminatu So to the podcast this week. Of course, Aminatu is the co-host of Call Your Girlfriend, but she's also the host of a brand new podcast from CNN called When Diana Met. Dot, dot, dot. All we can say is... Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. It's royal storytelling at its finest. Aminatu takes listeners inside Princess Diana's most notable meetings with public figures, politicians, celebs, and spoiler alert for the first episode, if you haven't listened yet, Camilla, to reveal the truths and misunderstandings about Diana's life as the Princess of Wales. Aminatu, we're so happy to have you on our show. Welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. So I know that you talked about this in the first episode, but for our listeners here, how did you personally become royally obsessed? What was your entry point to Princess Diana? I mean, I became royally obsessed via DNA. I grew up in a house where my mom was royally obsessed, mm-hmm. so I don't think I had a choice, really. <laughs> I um, Yeah, I grew up with Princess Diana being, you know, like a, a very, very, very famous person who you... Um, every single person was aware of, but I think that I, um, I I clocked like immediately that she meant a lot to my mom. And so Mm. therefore she was, she was someone the same way that, you know, other members of my household followed what politicians were up to. My mom was following uh, (laughs) what Princess Diana was up to. Of course, of course. I think what was fascinating to me, and it made me feel incredibly validated, was when I listened to the first episode, uh, one of your guests, Candice, she talked about her family having a photo of Diana among her family portraits. And (laughs) that was how impactful Diana was to 
their life. And I have a photo of Diana framed in my bathroom and I feel kind of self-conscious about it sometimes. I'm like, is this just fandom? But it really, every time I look at it, when I'm like brushing my teeth, it's weird that it's in my bathroom, I guess, but it's like, it's a photo of her kind of with like an exasperated expression, but like very put together and she's under an umbrella. It's raining. Whenever I see it, I feel seen and lifted up. And I think of all of the things that she took on and I think I just wanted to hear your take. Like, this seems like a very common thing for royal fans. And what do you think it says about us, I guess, <laughs> that we have that? Because it's, I felt, I felt very happy to hear that obviously a lot of people have You're this. You're not alone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have a lot of feelings about it. One is that it's very weird. Yeah, you it's know? really it's, weird. It's weird it's to have, weird. <laughs> it's weird to have pictures of people that you're not related to. It is. <laughs> and, but at the same time, I just think of how much these like, royals are posing for official portraits mm-hmm. i'm not saying that you the picture in your bathroom is an official portrait <laughs> no, but usually not. you know i'm like half of the crown is like a portrait you yeah know? it's like hi we're we're posing for the photo photos like beg to be displayed this is the whole point yeah you know? yeah and so i i think that it's completely bizarre but i think that more <laughs> than you know having diana in your bathroom is bizarre it is bizarre that these pictures exist at all. Yes, you know, yes. To consider. Yeah. But I think it's like That's this thing that like, I think I like feel inside her head when I see it. Like, I think like I think all the things that she took on and and maybe that's what like I look at it for for sort of like inspiration and things like that but I I felt validated hearing that story in the yeah yeah in the episode we want to ask about the process of this podcast and how it came about with CNN so how did you decide that this is how you're going to approach the story of Diana and this is the story that you want to tell about her from this angle yeah, you know, um, CNN had um, already asked me to be uh, a, one of the talking heads on a documentary about Diana that they were doing. The six parts of that just concluded on um, Sunday. And if you haven't seen it, you should try to catch it because it's amazing. Well, like our very own visuals. Rachel is in it. She yeah. is one of the stars. Yes. No, no, not right? a, yeah, it was beautifully done. It was wonderful. It was really beautifully done. And the, the archives of it were great. And alongside that, um, you know, CNN approached me about doing a companion podcast. So to be to be fair, the idea was all theirs. And I was oh, just wow. lucky to be along for the ride. And they had already kind of envisioned this concept of when Diana met and and rethinking her. For me, it was some things are really easy to say yes to. And this was a really easy yes. Um, I grew up in a CNN international household. So um, <laughs> when they call, you take that seriously. Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I'm going to betray my Christian Amanpour portrait, like portrait now. Yes. Like, that's what <laughs> See, yeah, that was yours. But, Isn't it bizarre to have some? Yeah. We all have women that we look up to. Yeah. But yeah, you know, I think that we're also just in this cultural moment of rethinking what like a lot of how we have lived through history or what a lot of historical um, figures have meant to us. And and Princess Diana is someone who, who just she died so young. You know, she just died so young. She died when she was 36. I'm 36. And yeah. I do not have um, a husband who's about to be king. I don't have two kids. Mm-hmm. I so did I get thrust in front of the entire planet when I was 19? And I think that I'd always understood that her story was, you know, it was like, oh, this is really complicated. But there's something about you, the viewer, personally getting a little older or getting a different perspective or frankly, like being alive for a cultural change that really makes you rethink um, events that you have lived through. And I think that with Diana, um, 
where I land squarely is that I actually like don't know who she is and I don't know what was going through her head. I'm just so aware that there are, there are so many narratives that are crafted ar- about her. And, and I wondered what it looked like to challenge those a little bit. Well, I want to ask you about that. What are some of those narratives and, you know, aspects of Diana's life that are still misunderstood, do you think, that you kind of explore in this podcast? I mean, so many things. I think the, the first thing that jumps out at me is that this implication that she was just this, like, 19-year-old who was dying to be a queen, so she manipulates Charles into marrying her. <laughs> and, like, that is a perception that a lot of people have, and it's like, well... Yeah, but society tells young girls that they're supposed to want a fairy tale. So welcome. Like, you know, it's like, is she manipulative Mm -hmm. or is this what we tell all girls to aspire to? And Mm -hmm. then it's very convenient to accuse them of these things. Also, just really, Diana presented herself as someone who was not, you know, like she wasn't particularly smart or she wasn't important. She was very self-effacing. And I think that, you know, that's something that to me is an instinct that's very recognizable as someone who is socialized as a woman and thinking about how actually like emotionally intelligent she was and how much she did understand diplomacy and she did understand um, how to be around people. And she, you know, so, so many of her philanthropic choices were not, um, they were not like things that she happened into. She was making like clear and conscious choices. Mm-hmm. You know, but beyond that, I think something that has really surprised me in the, um, speaking to all the people I did for this podcast is being reminded of like what a joyful and happy person Princess Diana was also. Mm -hmm. I think that in my head, she really lives as this, you know, like figure like marred by tragedy. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, whether it's like the tragedy of her marriage or it's the tragedy of like her own childhood or it's the way that she died. But it's, it's, it was been really heartening speaking to people who were there for her at pivotal moments, like Elizabeth Emanuel or Mm -hmm. Sam McKnight, and and really hearing them say that she was this, like, bubbly, ebullient, like, wonder like she like she funny had yes. like really funny yeah, yeah. like that's yeah, like what we hear too funny. is like she's yeah that's so the funny. through line that keeps coming yeah. up with people we've spoken to yeah that she had yeah. such a great sense of humor quick tangent did you see spencer what was your reaction to that i did see spencer and i um i i, I had not i think I, I said this to someone else like recently i didn't realize that it was an art film because i went into it without having seen the trailer i was like oh like i don't spencer i'll watch it mm-hmm. so that said like i was surprised at a lot of stylistic choices but yeah but beyond that it was you know I like I thought it was a beautiful movie like the movie itself was beautiful but the portrayal of Diana is one that again I was like oh I've I've seen contours of this and I'm looking for something different yeah you know but at the same time like I think that what's really hard about the story is that so much of what we know about Diana is mediated by other people even when you know even when you're aware of these tapes that um that she had again like everything is frozen in time and everyone gets to have an opinion about who she is or about what a moment in time meant to her. And we don't know that in her own words today. Yeah. And I think that I, I try to be really careful about how, um, how I metabolize and interpret a lot of that information. Yeah. We feel similarly. It's just really hard to, you know, so much of it is what we've made of it in the years since her passing. And it's, mm-hmm. you have to really mm-hmm. weigh what the information is. And I think even there was that piece there, there's a lot that's come out with, you know, true or false, who knows, but it's like a lot of her friends have said that different portrayals she'd be really dis- unhappy with. And it's like, you just have all these varying levels of what you know about her. Yeah. And who she was as a, according to history, how history remembers her. So yeah. I think Spencer, you know, is one take on the, on that. So 
We wanted to know, you know, because obviously we've, we've heard the first couple of episodes, which are just incredible. And we are guessing that you had just a really robust list of guests and sort of maybe you were putting that together. Maybe CNN was. We were curious if you have any details about who, what we can expect coming up. We loved the sort of hint in the first episode that said, you know, no spoilers. It says, but you said people who dance with her. And we have spoken so much about John Travolta <laughs> on the podcast. We were like, we're going to put you on the spot and ask, is he potentially in the mix or can you not even say? No, I'll tell you now that John Travolta is not okay. in the mix. What's really funny about Shucks. what's really been interesting about this podcast is how many people did not want to talk to us yeah people that we reached out to and I like I won't speculate like why they didn't want to speak but again it's interesting right where um John Travolta you know we do tackle him in an episode because that video of them dancing and those images of them dancing is so they're so iconic every single guest that we spoke to referenced that and and it's very and it's very funny because like I know who John Travolta is and you know who John Travolta is but there are a lot of people who are fans of Diana today who like quite don't understand who John Travolta yes, is. absolutely. That's you know, so, so having to translate for them like, no, no, this is like Harry Styles dancing with Malia Obama <laughs> at the White House. Like this is what we're talking about here. Let me give you, let me give you great, a frame of reference. Great, great analogy, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so like that, that aspect of it is very charming. But yeah, in terms of guests, you know, I think that the two people that you might really recognize are the the people who I, I spoke about. So Elizabeth Emanuel, who along mm-hmm. with her husband designed the wedding dress. And oh. that episode is really special to me because um, I will just say that I, like the wedding dress was not my favorite Diana fashion moment, mm-hmm. if I'm honest. Yeah. <laughs> but hearing Elizabeth Emanuel talk about that wedding dress like made me very emotional. So oh. I'll put that there. And um, someone else that we spoke to that really, like, I think brought home for me, like, what a special human Diana was, is Sam McKnight, who is her, who was her hairstylist mm-hmm. for a long time. Oh, and, wow. you know, is the person who gave her that iconic short haircut that we've all come to love. But they were really friends. Yeah, they were, they were really, really friends. And there was something for me about, you know, it was such a reminder for me that, to me, Diana is a, she's a public figure. But for a lot of people, she is their friend and it's very painful to talk about. I can't imagine having to talk about a friend for in service of like, you know, preserving their legacy, but also privately being like, this is really hard. It's very hard to like mourn your people. And so I think that really trying to look at the story of Diana also through this human lens and being like, hi, like, this is not just entertainment. You know, like I, I get it as that like for some of us, she's not a real human, but um, she left children behind. She left friends behind. Mm-hmm. She, you know, like it is a real tragedy to like lose someone in your life. And I think mm-hmm. that we try to remember that on this and how we like tackle these podcast episodes. Yeah. I think you do such a good job of that. One thing that stood out to me about episode two is how you kind of frame it in, you know, a view from the modern world. Like this was a woman whose first child wasn't really her own because she had to offer it up to in service of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. So I think that that, you know, you touch on so many points that feel so, so relevant to today's climate and culture. You t- also said that you felt so moved by the w- t- the conversation with Elizabeth. I felt so moved by the episode, the second episode where you talk about Diana's role as a mom and just sort of what the, what a big deal it was for her to love so openly and publicly when no royals had done that Mm -hmm. before. And getting that context, I think that that's what's so wonderful about your podcast is also just 
we forget how lucky we are to be where we, in, and you know, in many ways, many ways not, but like that's not bizarre to see now. But in the, when Diana was a mom for the first time, that wasn't what you saw at all, especially from the Royals. Yeah. Especially from Royals. You know, I think that, um, a, a thing about Diana, I think that people do not realize is just how modern she was. Mm-hmm. She was mm-hmm. a truly, 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 truly a modern person. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, and to me, that's why she, she connects so much with people today, people who were not aware of, you know, what that was like. I, I was talking to one of my friend's kids, a teen, and, and they were telling me that they were reading a historical fiction book. And I asked when the book was set and it was set in the 80s. And I started <laughs> laughing and I was like, no, no, but that's true. That is historical yeah. fiction. You know, like, <laughs> like fair 40 enough. 40 years ago. Like, you're right. Yeah, that was yeah. 40 years ago. Yeah, you know, but right. like, to, that's like offensive to me, know, um, like you know, in, in some ways. But, but I think that having that perspective on like on history and on historical people is also it's it's interesting because at the same time, you know, like today, some of these like presenting your baby to the world or or the way that she was treated as a mother like feels it's very eye rolly to me today. But I think that's something that my guests, particularly like Bonnie Greer challenge for me is that like at the time it was actually like incredibly modern, mm-hmm. you know, like some of the choices that she made were not these 2021 like eye roll moments. And I think that it's um, also honoring that is true. It's like progress happens in different ways. Yeah. And, um, you know, like sometimes someone has to take a step like that, that is bizarre to me. Yeah. Um, for women today to be able to lead like completely different lives. Yeah, you paint that so well. Yeah, in the episode, we have so much to look forward to. I feel like just the hint of guests coming up. You also had Andrew Morton on the show um, in the first episode, which is really um, he's been on our podcast too. So he's a really interesting character to talk to. But we want to know what do you hope overall listeners can take away from this series? Any modern day lessons from Diana that they'll find? I like I have so many hopes for this series. I hope that people who are not royally obsessed will consider her because mm. like we're always told that it's very silly to care about these things, you know, um, and that they're very frivolous. Yeah. And I, I really reject that. Actually, I think that examining the lives of people who have power and privilege is actually very instructive. It's not done solely for entertainment purposes. I also think that like gossip is constructive, like telling the stories about those people. We do that so that we don't really have to be confronted with our own lives. Um, I also hope that people will like they will consider Diana like differently as someone who was like very much in charge of her life and had some agency and was someone who had um, who had like many more dimensions that we've been told. You know, and I also think that like for us as viewers and as consumers of media and especially as like consumers of tabloid media, that we will be honestly like confronted with our own part in how these narratives are constructed because we live in a society and these ideas don't come from they don't come from anywhere and so people like Andrew Morton and Diana and you and I like are all we're all part of the story and Mm -hmm. so I have been like really challenged by my own understanding of like why I read the things that I read or why I care about the things that I care about and how I, I really participate in how narratives about like public women are crafted because it's interesting that we're in this moment of like rethinking Britney Spears and, mm-hmm. you know, like hopefully yeah. like we will get a lot of Janet Jackson rethinking very soon. Mm-hmm. She's, she's yeah. very overdue for that. Right. But it's interesting to me that the same media looking at it is the media that vilified these women. Yeah. You know? I was like, oh yeah, I was like, what, like which attitudes have changed? But at the same time, like we are the same public that consume that and allow that to happen. And so, you know, like life is complicated, but for like with Diana specifically, it's been, you know, like, almost two decades since she's been gone and she still has so much 
to tell us about how we live life today. Mm. And it's been a real treat to just like look back on her life because I, I've learned, so, I like I thought I knew everything about her. And every time I like, I relive these moments like completely differently. And it's been really nice. Also the, the fashion, the fashion. Yeah. Too, so <laughs> thank you for that, that alone. <laughs> yes, yes, it's been, exactly. It's been a treat for us too. So we are so excited to keep following along with your podcast. Yeah, how many more episodes? You. Do you know how many so, total yeah. are there? We have six episodes total. We're taking a break during Thanksgiving okay. um, so that everyone can have a break at home. Uh, but yeah, other than that, like we we have six episodes total. So four more coming. Oh, not we're enough. Very ex- <laughs> we're very excited about them. Yeah, who knows? Maybe maybe more will come. But we're, um, you know, it's also fun for us to do that show knowing that we are in conversations with podcasts like yours yeah. because, you know, like we don't do this work in a vacuum. And so it's nice to know that other people are like picking up that conversation when we're not there. Absolutely. Well, it's been so wonderful to have you join. I I feel like we were so looking forward to this conversation and and, uh, it's been a delight. Too short. We want you to be on longer. Come back again anytime. (laughs) (laughs) I'll come back anytime to discuss all my royal obsessions um, of all royal families of all countries. So let me know. Exactly. Not limited to the British royal family. Thank you so much. Thank you, Aminatu. This is awesome. Have a lovely day. Before we adjourn the royal pod, here are our highs and lows. It's time for the royal highs and lows. My low this week is this lawsuit censoring Lord Mountbatten's private journals. An author wants to read the journals under the British Freedom of Info Information Laws. A reminder, Lord Mountbatten was killed by the IRA in 1979, so over 40 years ago. So these are really old diaries. And the cabinet office is actually trying to intervene and censor the journals due to explosive material. Oh. Yeah, so the officials fear the diaries and letters of Mountbatten and his wife, Edwina, who was rumored to have had an affair with the first prime minister of India, what, out of nowhere, could affect relations between the UK, India, and Pakistan. I just didn't know that yeah. fact, I guess. And that's just, I don't know. They're also really worried about what it will reveal about the royal family and the queen herself. So, you know, it's interesting there's a lawsuit around it, but also the real low, I feel like, is that the government has already spent over 300,000 pounds in fighting the case against this law- against this author. So wow. I feel like that's the low there is the public's money is being sent to hide whatever these journals have. So I'm really interested to hear more about yeah, this. Yeah, I'm curious. I feel like I, I would love to know though. more about Lord Mountbatten, yeah. even more than we already do. I think Milo is something, I don't mean to repeat myself, but I think just the general vibe of Remembrance Day, Sunday service in the balcony. I was very happy to see Kate in front, of cent- front and center. I think I just, it felt heavy for me seeing that lineup where it was Sophie, Kate, and Camilla and big absences, you know, obviously the queen for the right reasons, Andrew, but then like there's no Megan and Harry or those, you know, sort of star members of the family participating. This is not new information. They've been gone for well over a year now, but I think seeing that lineup, you really see like, this is the future of the monarchy. And I think that they're just, it just felt like, I don't want to say that something was missing. I love all those faces and people that were up there. I just, I think it felt slimmed down. Is that the right way to say it? Yeah, it felt it felt a little yeah, it's like a glimpse into the future that mm-hmm. is just so stark without the queen there. All right, my high this week switching gears a little bit is Pippa Middleton news and Rachel sent this to me, which is <laughs> kind of a weird thing because we don't know much about this yet and so I'm sure that we'll talk about it more later on, but there's 
a company that she's founded called Pippa's Playground that's focused on holistic health, I guess is what the trademark filing said. The spokesperson for Pippa confirmed she's focused on her studies. So she's, I guess, studying more about holistic health and this company is going hand in hand, hand with it. My guess is it's a magazine. I want to say that it's going to be like a children's magazine or something. She's she's written, written the column for Waitrose that, that mm-hmm. uh, she used to have a column for them and um, a few other places. So I am confused, but also intrigued. And I love to hear more from Pippa. So that'll be exciting. To, yeah, well, she to has to Carol to lean on for any uh, advice about starting her own biz, too. Maybe it's a party shop. Pippa's playground. Who knows? Yeah, I'm curious. I'm so curious. My high is just also, I'm doing a lot of reflecting in my highs and lows, but 11 years, it's been 11 years since Kate and William got engaged. And I was thinking, you know, seeing the videos play out on my social media feed of everyone resurfacing that iconic photo call when they announced it, you know, it's been 11 years since that Royal Blue Issa dress, 11 years since Instagram launched because that launched in October of 2010 and they got engaged in November of 2010. It's been 11 years and Kate hasn't really aged. I was like, I feel like she's like the Paul Rudd of the Royals. (laughs) (laughs) Like she kind of is just like, she stays the same. She looks fantastic. Um, I just, you know, I I love thinking back on the trajectory and it's been so special to be a part of their entire relationship. I thought we we could end with this darling clip of them. Remember when Kate kind of goes, um, during their engagement interview, she gets asked if she did indeed have a photo of William on her wall. (laughs) <laughs> yes. Wall. Is it, it, was, it child- wasn't just one that was like 10, <laughs> yeah. 20. He wishes. No. Um, no, I had the Levi's Levi's guy on my wall. <laughs> not, not a picture of William. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> it was me and Levi's, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> that gets, it was me and Levi's, obviously. I just, that always makes me laugh. So it's ending a on funny a thing to have to admit in a royal I know. En- engagement interview that she had a guy in like what a Levi's bizarre. model. Yeah. I, I feel like... Like, poor thing to have to, like, keep fighting against all these funny news stories that come up. I don't know. It's just, it's interesting. Yeah, it's like, how did you fall in love? Did you have a photo of William on your wall? Yeah, yeah. That's what it's like. Very formal. And then, like, yeah. All right. Just a reminder before we close, leave us a royal rating on Apple Podcasts. Here's a recent review. It says, just started listening to this treasure of a podcast. I've been watching the Diana series on CNN and knew this must be a quality podcast if the host was a contributor. The podcast is a nice compliment to my workday at home. Shout That's out so to nice. Rachel. Couldn't no. be more appropriate with our Aminatu episode. And Oh, no. I was just going to say, I've been hearing from different DMs, just people that are really value us as an escape during their day. And I think that that's such a means so much to us to hear Such that a compliment, yeah. it is joyful for us too. Yes. Reminder to subscribe so you never miss an episode and email us, please. We love hearing from you guys. Info at gallerypodcasts.com. You can also follow us personally. I'm at Robbie Frito on Instagram. And I'm at RKBNYC. Until next week. God, God save, save the, pod. the pod. Her Majesties of Royally Obsessed have retired for this episode. God save the pod. And if you fancy the podcast, give Royally Obsessed the royal rating of five stars on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast and join our Facebook group, Royally Obsessed. Royally Obsessed is a gallery podcast production.